Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie, brought to you by Killer Podcasts, an evergreen podcasts network. I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. It's the show that takes you inside the unbelievable, the unexplainable, the macabre, and the festive? Oh, question mark? And tries to find an answer. Uh, that's right, Caroline. The, um, well, you know, it's all cold down along the beach. The wind's whipping down the boardwalk. Bruce? Hey, man! <laughs> Do you know what time it is, Carrie? What time is it? It's Christmas time. Oh, Christmas time. Yeah. Hey, Clarence, you've been practicing. You've been rehearsing real good, real hard. So Santa, bring your new saxophone, baby. It's sad that Clarence had to depend on Santa for that. I wish Bruce would have just... Paid him a little better. Yeah. Like, come on, a guy should be able to afford a saxophone, Bruce. <laughs> he shouldn't have to depend on how hard he's rehearsing. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, uh, so, but it is Christmas time. It's holiday time. I, you know, p- people celebrate all kinds of different holidays around this time of year. God Yule. God Yule, indeed, uh, to our pagans out there. Um, but happy Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Festivus. Uh, any other? Are there any other real or joke ones we're obliged to say? <laughs> I, gosh, I don't know. Okay, excellent. Um, we happy are, holidays. Happy holidays to everyone. We are looking forward to a little bit of. Uh, just a little time off work, and um, we're really looking forward to it, I think. <laughs> we're, we're looking forward to it, and we're looking forward to it. And uh, we are going to keep a holiday tradition going from last year. Carrie, uh, for last Christmas, we had the Ain't It Scary Saves Christmas special, mm-hmm. where we each cast our own kind of uh, Christmas movie. It was kind of a Christmas carol, but Santa Claus was involved. Obviously, the Krampus was involved. Of course. Uh, And we each kind of put up our own cast of Ain't It Scary characters from the prior, uh, at that point, 100 episodes or so. Sean, they're characters. Oh, I'm sorry, Caroline. (laughs) I wish you would get it right. Yeah, they was a cast of characters, and uh, (laughs) uh, we voted, uh, we had our listeners vote on who had the better uh, picks. I don't remember who won that uh, vote. It was me. No, I don't think we can... You know, it'll, that's lost to history, but I think we can all uh, think and imagine about who might have won that. Mm. And we're going to do it again this year, but but the Christmas Carol's done. It's done and dusted, and frankly, it's out of fashion, Carrie. Wow. Take that, Dickens. We are taking Christmas into the 21st, into the 20th century as we remake a Christmas classic from 1988. And what's that, Sean? You already know because you've had to prepare a list for this, but our listener may or may not know. 1988 was the year of a little film called Die Hard. Hell yeah. Now, a little there was sort of a preview or a spoiler of this last year because John McClane did slip into 
He's a Christmas character. He's a Christmas character, so he slipped in right along with Santa Claus and the Krampus and in the various Bernard Char- the Head Elf, Charles Dickens characters, and Bernard the Head Elf last year. Um, but this year, listen, Hollywood's creatively bankrupt. We all know this. You and I aren't going to come up with cool plots this year because no one's ever going to make a cool plot again. We're just going to keep recycling the same, uh, the same old dreck, the same old bullshit. But we might as well steal from the best, Carrie. So mm-hmm. we are going to remake Die Hard. Scare Hard. I, we'll workshop the title. But yes, we are <laughs> going to remake Die Hard. Wow. Okay. And so uh, I have a list of characters here. Well, you have the list of characters we're going to cast as well. I'm not going to read the whole list off the top. I want some surprises to uh, come out. So as we kind of go through the plot of the movie, I'm going to assume most of our listeners have seen Die Hard. Uh, We will introduce the characters as we go, and we'll each uh, share who we've cast in these roles. And if you haven't seen Die Hard, or if you're one of those people that's like, it's not a Christmas movie, so I'm not going to watch it. I didn't see it till... If you're one of those people, what, do you only watch Christmas movies? (laughs) I've never met that person. I didn't see it till college, and it's actually one of the best crafted action movies I've ever seen. I think that the script, the pacing, the plot, the performances, everything about it is just really, really great, and I'm not really an action movie person. So if that's you, definitely give it a watch, because I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. And we don't need to rehash the or reheat the whole is it a Christmas movie debate. It is. Yeah, of course it is. But also, you know, let's can we pull the veil off this finally uh, as a society? It's just that's a thing that movie snobs, you know, pop cultural movie snobs like you and I like to say, oh, my favorite Christmas movie is Die Hard. You know, to set yourself apart from, you know. It's the pineapple on pizza of Christmas movies. Yeah, it's definitely a, you know, kind of a, "Mm, this is what I'm doing choice for people like me. But I do really love it. But then. It's one of my top Christmas movies. But I think the problem is when when sorry carrie but squares hear that and then go like well this is an actual debate we have to have no it was just someone who thought they were being clever Mm -hmm. you know but it is a christmas movie. but if we're going to debate it yes of course it is the soundtrack (laughs) is full of christmas music it it has a a warm happy feeling it's about getting home to your family for the holiday Mm -hmm. so it's not just that it takes place during a christmas party i said we weren't going to do this forget it (laughs) okay uh carrie we're recasting Die Hard. We're remaking Die Hard exclusively with characters from the Ain't It Scary, I'm going to say Pantheon. Mm. Um, they don't have to be from the past year. Okay. They can be from any point in the run of this show. They can be characters you cast last year. Every director has their favorites that they return to. Martin Scorsese. Who what would he be without a, a De Niro or a, a DiCaprio? As any his... of the does, really. Yeah. Robert De Niro, not the most beautiful muse the world has ever seen, but, uh, but he is a, a muse. a handsome fellow. Well, a- as a young man. We have different perspectives on that, that's all. Okay. I know you hate Italians, so... I, you, you know that that's not true. We need to stop spreading this narrative on the podcast. <laughs> okay, so Die Hard uh, is being remade with characters from Ain't It Scary lore. <laughs> you can recast uh, people who you've used in, in last year's game. You cannot use someone if I've used them in, in this year's cast mm-hmm. and vice versa. So no repeats on, on either list across across both these movies because i i don't know these are both getting made obviously we're green lighting both of these things and, and let the chips fall where they may and we're going kind of one by one so we each have an equal possibility of 
whatever one's being featured. Sure. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm going to go with yes. I don't understand the question completely. I'm tired, Sean. And you, you made me this wine and... I made... Yes, I crushed... <laughs> I've been stomping all night. Yeah, it tastes like feet. Uh, that That's the that's the, the good people at Apothic Red. <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> this is Please. not an endorsement or a an endorsement. Send us more foot wine. <laughs> God. Um, so, Carrie, obviously, for those who don't know, and, and honestly, go just... Stop the podcast. Stop listening to our podcast. Well, maybe. Go watch Die Hard. It's okay. It's you know, it's worth your time. And then when then we're worth your time after that. Yes. Die Hard follows uh, John McClane, Carrie. He's a streetwise New York cop. And uh as we join him, he's on an airplane. He's very uncomfortable to be in Los Angeles. Uh but he's he's pretty unflappable, John. He always seems like he's in control of the situation. Has some great one-liners along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh who are you picturing for your obviously Bruce Willis in the original? Mm-hmm. Who are you picturing as your John McClane? Well, you know, I actually this is the only one that I picked from last year's and it's the actual same person because I feel like if we need a hero, that hero is Zach Bagans. Yep. Okay. So I'm gonna have to. I have him cast as a different character further down the list. So I'll have to scratch <laughs> Zach off here. But you're not hurting me on John McClane. Tell me about uh, Zach Bagans as John McClane. He loves a tight shirt. Yes. So we, there's this is that. Confirmed. Um. You know, I feel like he's got a lot of one-liners now. Zach's are a little more off the dome, so maybe they're not as well scripted. I would argue they're also not. He's not a big jokester. I mean, he says a lot of things. Yeah, I he's got a he's got a joker's heart. I think, <laughs> <laughs> and he's always running around and yelling at ghosts. So I feel like he could yell at terrorists. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always said he's a, he's a modern day Odysseus. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Yeah. Uh, well, I went a little bit of a different route with John McClane. And I, I want to give an honorable mention here because honestly, what I should have done was selected Nando Parado. The uh, he he was one of the Uruguayan soccer team. Oh, talk about a hero! Yeah, and that's the boy who boy because he was like eighteen or nineteen at the time who led his friends in the hike over the mountains yeah. and like they carved stairs to to help them climb a really steep face. They made a sleeping bag that they all crammed into. Crazy! I, I mean, insane! One of the most insane survival stories. So in that diehard way, where it's like normal guy mm-hmm. getting through it all. But then I thought. I don't know if, especially after his experiences in the mountains, I don't know how wisecracking he is. And, and what I'm really looking for is that John McClane feeling. Mm-hmm. And I started looking at, well, we were watching Die Hard the other night. I was running those lines of dialogue, those jo- great John McClane one-liners through my head. And there's only one character we've covered on Ain't It Scary, I think, who could really cover them off or carry them off. Mm-hmm. Yippee-ki-yay, bitch. Oh, Oh, an anti-hero. Welcome to the party, pal. Oh, my God. That's right. Fred Krueger. <laughs> Freddy, f- for his friends. Is uh, is is who I'm casting as John McClane. Uh, n- not Robert England, by the way. But Robert England as Freddy Krueger. That portrayal. Well, yeah, it's not the... Uh, the it, one from the remake? It's not the Jack Earl Haley version. Mm-hmm. No, because he's less wisecracky. Mm-hmm. So it's certainly Robert England's vibe freddy but it's freddy it's not robert england playing john mcclain mm-hmm. 
I want to be very clear about that. I mean, he, you know what? He's got the green and red sweater. He's very festive. Yeah, it's a Christmas movie. Yes, exactly. And and we were talking about this the other night, weirdly, unrelated. We we were discussing how Freddie really should be in a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's all burned up, so he kind of looks like a Yule log. And he, he's not going to be bothered by walking across that glass, frankly. He's had worse. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, now, John, Freddie, Zach, mm-hmm. is flying to L.A. to uh, go to a Christmas party that's being hosted at the office of his estranged wife, Holly Gennaro, uh, played beautifully by Bonnie Bedelia in the only role you know Bonnie Bedelia from. That's not true. She's around. Did, she, did you know she's Macaulay Culkin's aunt? I did not know that. Now you know. Bonnie Bedelia. Well, there you go. Um, how would you describe Holly Gennaro? Uh, Holly has taken on her maiden name for business purposes and because she and her husband are, you know, in a shaky place. She's a strident lady of the 80s. I think she's, you know, she did the mom thing. Now she's a career woman. She's more independent. Yeah, 80s business lady. Yeah, than John really wants her to be. And I think, you know, she can definitely hold her own. She's, I mean, everyone's scared in the situation, but she takes action once... Uh, spoiler alert, Mr. Takagi is uh, blown away. And um, she really keeps it together for her co-workers. So she's a tough broad. Uh, yeah, that's that's a perfect description. And uh, she has she has faith in John when no one else does. She's also a... Uh, she's loyal to her... Whatever John is at that, at that point. Loyal to her friends. <laughs> sure. So tell me, tell me who you've got down as Holly Gennaro. Well, I was really going for that kind of, you know, can hold her own um, sort of thing. And when I was thinking of a lady that can hold her own, I thought of our old friend, Lisbeth. I knew. Oh, wait, hold on. Actually, this is interesting. (laughs) I have two different, my backup and my main are both... Elizabeth's, or, well, no, she's not. I know who you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You're talking about Lizzie Borden. Yes. Yeah. I mean, she knows her way around a weapon. Yes, yeah, Allegedly. Um, you know, she's she's a, a spinster of the time, so she's kind of the equivalent of, like, a modern uh, career woman. You would describe <laughs> Lizzie Borden as a career woman? No, but she's a career woman when the in the time when women weren't allowed to have careers. Yeah, okay. Her career was murdering her parents. Um, allegedly. Allegedly. I think she kind of, like, as established in the episode of Ghost Adventures, she has sort of a special relationship with Zach Bagans. Oh, okay, yep. So you're going with the casting. There's already some chemistry here. Yes, absolutely. Um, but, you know, he's having trouble communicating with her. Just, yeah, there, there, we covered some pretty awkward moments when he was laying in her bed, right? Is that right? Yeah, I'm sure that John McLean had some awkward moments when he was laying in his wife's bed and she wasn't feeling it. So, yeah, I'm thinking I'm thinking Lizzie Borden. She's she's tough. She's take charge. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, she's just a little old spinster lady needs saving. Well, at, I ended up landing on another Lizzie. Mm-hmm. Erzabet Battery. Mm-hmm. Talk count- about strident women. The Countess of Blood. Uh, now, legend has it, Carrie, legend has it that she bathed in the blood of dozens, maybe hundreds of virginal women and girls to uh, extend her lifespan. Mm-hmm. 
but as we covered on that episode, it's spoiler alert, but go back and listen. I think it's a great, uh, great app. She probably was just a strong career woman of the time mm-hmm. who was uh, sort of painted. I mean, maybe she killed a couple of servants, right? Who's not killing a couple of servants? In the time. At the time. But but for the most part, she was a uh, she was a career woman who managed to hold it all together. Remember, she was the largest landowner in uh, Romania at the time. And uh, this is at a time when women weren't really supposed to be doing much of anything at all. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the 80s. So, uh, so, so I see Bonnie Bedelia energy in Erzabit Battery, and that is my uh, choice for Holly Gennaro. Very nice. The Christmas party uh, it seems to be going well. A guy kisses John. He goes, California. <laughs> you know. And then uh, he and Holly seem to be getting along. They have a, a, conver- a pretty tense conversation at one point. Um, and then the party is interrupted by the arrival of some terrorists. You know, it happens. Led by, uh, we're told he's a he's a reject from the left-wing Volksfrei movement. Whatever that means. Hans Gruber. He's a slick, incredibly smooth planner. He has, he sees all the numbers, Carrie. And he's got a plan that's much bigger than the plan that you're seeing. Mm-hmm. So uh, who do you think for this <laughs> ultimate master manipulator? Well, it's funny you put it like that because my my pick is going to sound absolutely crazy in that context. Crazy. It's funny you use that word. Hey. Yeah, it's Charles Manson. Yeah, I knew. I knew. <laughs> um, he is not necessarily the best planner in the world or, or has a lot of numbers going. But he has charisma, which, I mean, so we're told. Hey, man, you watching too many of those cowboy movies? The wapow! The wapow! <laughs> I, go, I go behind the rock and you can't see where old Charlie is. Mm-hmm. He, he feels like he's smarter than everyone else. Um, and, you know, depending on who he's hanging out with, that might be true. Uh, he's a leader of his own little movement, his own little band of misfits. And he manages to almost pull off a crime. Yeah, I read about him in Time Magazine. <laughs> he doesn't read Time Magazine, Charlie. No, but I feel like he's got the same sort of weird draw that an Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber has, just in a very different way. Um, I love that. Uh, I chose uh, Doc Savage, the bumbling assassin from the uh, uh, Soldier for Hire murders well he was he was a boss he was a boss of some of a criminal gang that was going out to do criminal things and he was a planner i mean he was the guy who held all the plans for that team in his head they weren't very effective plans remember they had to plant that one bomb they were just trying to kill one guy and they planted the bomb like three times mm-hmm. it didn't go off and then it didn't go off again and then it did go off but in the wrong place so like he wouldn't have been as good as hans no i think we both chose particularly bumbling people to play our Hans. Well, it's kind of a different, maybe we're taking this down a slapstick comedy route. Um, but honestly, my first choice for this was also Charles Manson. Well, he is a, a leader of men and women. And it's the electrifying eyes of Alan Rickman <laughs> and that animal magnetism. You know, he doesn't have the polish of a Hans Gruber. No. But he's a guy who, as we can see, can get a group of people to do something terrible. That's true. So let's meet some of those people he'll be leading through this, Carrie. Uh, he has a team of terrorists with him, Hans. And uh, you're just going through the three kind of main heavies. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, Carl, 
And Carl's the real heavy. He's um, he's the tall blonde guy with the long flowing locks. Yep, he's running around with a stair og assault rifle for most of the movie. If you used to play video games like <laughs> I did, I still do play video <laughs> games. You're just playing one. It really didn't have a stair og in it. No, because it was Assassin's Creed Odyssey and set in ancient Greece. So he's the guy who's really mad the whole movie that John McClane has killed his brother. Mm-hmm. So he's out for revenge. He's uh, he's he's a dangerous guy. He's the heavy. Mm-hmm. Who do you have for Carl? Who's the mini boss that that uh, Zach Bagans is going to have to face on his way to take down Charles Manson? Well, I think the one that I chose kind of fits in multiple senses, and this is the lumbering ghost of Giles Corey. Oh my god! This was unexpected. He is literally a spirit of vengeance. He is said to haunt Howard Street Cemetery in Salem, Massachusetts because he was killed there, and he put a a curse, possibly, on the sheriffs and the entire town of Salem shows up to sort of enact that curse every so often. Um, and I feel like, yeah, Carl is sort of powered by vengeance, and so is the ghost of Giles Corey, plus very appropriate for Zach Bagans to have this sort of nemesis that is a vengeful ghost. I think that's such a good pick, Carrie, uh, that I'm almost mad I didn't take it myself. <laughs> but let me tell you about a guy. Please. A guy driven by revenge. A guy driven to do violent ends in the pursuit of that revenge. Um, our friend Carl, by the way, also a probably can assume a rejected member of the Volksfrei movement. So we're, we're looking at someone with frustrated political ambitions. Yep. I actually, I knew you would choose this guy, but I chose him for one of my others, but I knew you would get to him. He killed my brother. Oh, Hans, he killed my brother. We have to get him. He killed my brother, please. And I would love to see him choked with a chain, so... Yeah, is is that is it huh? is it Carl or his brother who gets choked with the chain? No, Car- uh, his brother just falls down the stairs. And oh. It's kind of like a oopsie doopsie. That's right. They both get their necks broken. Well, like brother, like brother. Yeah, and then uh, well, who between our our picks there, who's going to look better popping out of the fountain at the end? Spoiler alert. Hmm, I'm gonna have to say Giles Corey. He's a ghost, so it's gonna have a lot of drama to it. You're right. And then Al Powell's bullets <laughs> pass harmlessly through him. Oh, isn't it so heartwarming that Al Powell learned how to shoot again? Along with Carl, we have a uh, charismatic hacker. He certainly thinks he's charismatic. He's shooting off his mouth all the time. Uh, you hate this guy. I kind of like this character. Mm-hmm. His name is Theo. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, yeah, he's he's the hacker. He Boom, two points is what he says after they shoot the security guard, and he's doing that kind the of thing. The quarterback is toast. The quarterback is toast. I think he just has the most obnoxious lines. It's not necessarily like the actor's fault or anything, but yeah. Um, well, he so he's a guy, uh, well, I, I don't want to give too much more away. I think <laughs> I've given the measure of the man. Carrie, who's your Theo? Well, we've got to talk about characters that might be annoying to some, are heartwarming to others, perhaps. Definitely shooting their mouth off all the time, thinks they're very smart, is just sort of really hyper and running around a lot. We already used Charles Manson. Jeff the Talking Mongoose. Jeff! <laughs> oh my God. I'm Jeff! Oh my God, I can't believe he's back. The quarterback is toast. This is this is very exciting. So you feel like do you feel like Jeff is a believable technical mind? 
you know, mongies, they could just be skittering around the motherboards and such. I can believe it. Jeff was running that house. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I could believe he's he's got a technical mind. Uh, Carrie, I don't think it is the lines of dialogue that are given to Theo that you're reacting to. What I think it is, is... His air of superiority. His his air of Jeff has a very high air of superiority. Absolutely. But do you know who else does? So many people on our podcast. They're usually monsters. The this not a mon I would argue, and I think you'll agree, not a monster. Uh-huh. The man I'm going to cast as Theo is Oscar Wilde. Okay, well I get that though. Anything to declare, Theo? Only my genius. Uh-huh. That's very Theo. And very Oscar Wilde. Big Theo energy. The quarterback is toast. He, and we, was, he was a big football fan. <laughs> we talked, well, you know, football being soccer, of course. Um, we, talk, mm. we talked about Oscar Wilde on our famous Last Words episode, right? We certainly did. His were um, the wallpaper or me. One of us has got to go. Uh, love that old queen. His last words, uh, allegedly. I mean... Going out on a bit is just great. Yeah, that is awesome. Uh, we're not going to cast Carl's brother. Just picture somebody who Charles Gateau would be mad about having died. Mm-hmm. Chester A. Arthur. <laughs> sure. Um, so the other terrorist we're going to cast here, uh, just because, mostly because I like his voice, is the he's guy- He's got a lot going on for the short amount of time he's around. There's two. Do you think that this guy is a German who's doing an American accent, or is he another American? Obviously, oh, I, th- I think he's an American, because Theo's an American, so it seems like there's a whole kind of conglomerate here. There's an Asian guy in there. I think he's probably American and not from the Volksfrei. <laughs> Who knows? So, uh, yeah, but I don't think we hear him talk at all. Mm-hmm. He's just menacing with a machine gun. He's probably one of the guys who's killed by the C4. I never thought about that. Yeah, he sort of just disappears, doesn't he? Anyway, Eddie is the guy who sits behind the security desk after the security guard is dead. He looks like Huey Lewis. He looks exactly like Huey Lewis. <laughs> don't take money. Don't take fame. <laughs> wish wish we had ever talked about Huey Lewis, because that's who I would cast. Just gotta follow Hans if you want in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of games, he's sitting there watching a college football game when the police come to check on the place. More on the police later. Don't stand. Don't stand so... Yes, Sting is who I'm casting as Eddie. Uh, no, so he's the one who uh, is leaning. He goes. He he tells Al that the computers have been on the fritz, mm-hmm. and then he leans back to watch the uh, football game. And he's he goes, got an exaggerated Southern accent. Yeah, he goes, "Oh hell, I had fifty bucks bet on them assholes." Mm-hmm. So for this guy, uh, you want somebody who is creating a distraction. That's effectively what's happening here. And and the only thing I had to go on mm-hmm. was who's going to create a distraction. Mm-hmm. Who's going to cause Al Powell to uh, turn his attention away from the obvious terrorist attack, or is it, that's happening in this building? Mm-hmm. And so I thought uh, the talking cat from the Lindley Street <laughs> incident. The racist cat? The racist cat, yeah. So instead of, I bet 50 bucks on that uh, them assholes, there's just a cat sitting in the chair and it goes, hey, you dirty Greek. <laughs> That's distracting for sure. That's going to distract the police. So that's yeah. I, I thought that would be a nice little cameo to throw in here. Okay. Now mine, I was kind of concentrating on two things. I was concentrating on the fact that this is really the face of the operation. This has to be a guy that really kind of blends in and, and seems believable. Um, 
and he you know he's a he's a good looking fellow. He looks like Huey Lewis. He's he's a handsome '80s guy, and he's also he's doing a character. Okay, he's acting. You know, he's really getting into it. He's doing he's doing lines. He's improvising. He's yes anding. Doing lines, I think, is Ellis. We'll get to him in the second <laughs> half. Um, and for that. I chose Robert Wagner, Natalie Wood's first husband, and then they got back together. Wow, and possible, possibly I'm, her murderer. Yeah, he's he's possibly sinister. He's definitely suspicious. Handsome guy, looks like the he, guy in the he, movie. He, he looks, looks like, like Eddie. Huey Lewis. <laughs> he looks like Huey Lewis, who looks like Eddie. Um, he's an actor. He's portraying characters. Is he portraying a character in life? That of the grieving husband. I'm sorry, but allegedly, but still. You know, and you've tied it back into, is he playing a character behind that desk? Because I still don't know if that guy's supposed to be American. He's that good, Sean. And that's Robert Wagner, a.k.a. number two and Austin Powers. Uh, our listeners might know him from that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's my pick. I He was big in the 80s, too, so I feel like he'd fit right in. I love it. Um, the terrorists have shown up, and John McClane is is locked in with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? By the way, there was one more uh, character who I, I neglected to get to. I was about to go to a break, but we, we can't leave Argyle out of this. That's true. To this point, because how did John get to the party? That's true. That's really an important thing. He's uncomfortable to be riding in a limousine for his first time on the way from the airport to the, uh, the Christmas party. Mm-hmm. He's picked up by a guy named Argyle, who says it's his first time driving a limo, so don't worry about it. Um, Argyle is, for much of the movie, pretty oblivious to what's going on. He's just looking for a good time. Um, but he's also, you know, when, when shit hits the fan, Argyle is going to help you out. Argyle's a good guy. Mm-hmm. He's a good friend. He'll stick his neck out, even for a guy he just met. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's sort of the lay of Argyle. Um, wh- who, who's your Argyle? I know I know we didn't pick the same Argyle. <laughs> no, I'd be very surprised. I was really going for like who would I want as a bestie? You know, who I think is going to be loyal till the end. Who's got like a good vibe, upbeat, good personality, probably not used to driving very much. Oh, this was my backup. You're going to say Padre Pio. No. <laughs> Certainly not. Uh, but I am going to say Little Greyfriars Bobby. <gasps> Greyfriars Bobby, man's a, best friend. That is great casting for loyal till the end. Will will show up for you even in death. True and sweet and a good soul. Greyfriars Bobby. Uh, for anyone who doesn't remember, haunts uh, the cemetery in Edinburgh, Scotland. Um, is a little dog, a really loyal little dog, and there's a little statue to him. Um, he followed his uh, owner to the train station every day. Don't, I'm going to cry. Then the owner died in World War One, and the dog was still seen going there every day till the dog died. And now people say they can still see the dog going to see if that guy's ever going to come home. He's just a good boy, Sean. He's such a good boy. And uh, I can't wait to see him deliver that famous exchange in the limousine. Hey, ain't you got any Christmas music? Such a good boy. Such a, he's the best boy. <laughs> uh, Maya Argyle, I, I went heavy on the oblivious side here. Okay. He's oblivious, but he really wants to help out someone he just met. Mm-hmm. It's Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh, okay. I get it, though. I think he he attacks this John McClane situation with the same um, 
Attention to detail? It's coming from a good place. The same attention to detail, but also the same uh, level of goodwill that Conan Doyle did the Cottingley Ferry incident. He has no clue what's happening. Probably doesn't know how to operate a limo. No, it's definitely his first time drive behind the wheel of one. He's usually being driven around. In a carriage. Uh, In a carriage, yeah. So uh, so I I think that would be fun to see. I like that. He'd be having a great old time in that backseat. He would. He'd He'd be calling the ladies eating pizza. Yeah, the music will be quieter. He'd be smoking a pipe, but, you know. Instead of fairies, he'd be seeing Christmas elves. He would love it. He would write three books about it. Absolutely. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back here, uh, John and the terrorists are all in the building, and things are going to start heating up. Uh, the police are going to, I think most of the rest of our casting are, are various law enforcement officers, and uh, we are going to find out what happens in these 40 stories of sheer suspense. Wow. Is that the tagline for Die Hard? Because that's great. I think that's what's on the poster, yeah. Oh, okay. Sheer suspense. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Adventure. It was 40 stories of sheer adventure. Don't send me emails. <laughs> yes, I'm sure they were just typing it up as they as we speak. Listener, as you cool those keyboards down, <laughs> um, we spent the first half setting up our Die Hard remake. Uh, we cast our John McClane's, our Holly's Gennaro, <laughs> our Hans Gruber's, our Carl, Theo, and Eddie's, and our Argyle's. Mm-hmm. And if... If your keyboards are now cooled down, we suggest you grab a nice, cozy cup of hot chocolate to kick back with us for the rest of this holiday special. Absolutely. Thank you for setting the mood, Caroline. Ooh. We forgot to introduce one more uh, guest at this party, a co-worker of Holly's. Ugh. Not Takagi. I think if we can get the original guy back, is he dead? I don't know. Uh, if we can get the original guy back, I think he brings a gravitas to the k- Takagi. He's a good role. Takagi, yeah. Um, but we can probably find someone to replace Alice, right? Yeah. Truthfully, no. That guy plays that, that role. That guy put his whole you-know-what into that role, and I hate him so much, and that that's the mark of a good actor. He's the worst. His last look at Hans when he's on the phone with, with John. Drinking the Coke, and he's like, is the best thing in the world. Okay, so Ellis is a a douchebag. He's an office douchebag. The very first time we see him, he's blowing a line of coke. Then he's bragging about a watch that... Oh, he's such a piece of shit. I always assumed it was a gift from the company, but on this viewing, it, it might be a gift from him. He I'm might not have really... approved the budget for it. Right. I don't think he had anything to do with it. He's Show him the watch. Show him the watch. What are you, embarrassed? Ugh, I hate him. Hey, John Boy. The only good thing about him is that he has a beard. Uh, he's ultimately, spoiler alert, uh, killed through hubris. I don't want to. I, I won't go into more detail than that. If any of you haven't seen Die Hard, it you know it slaps. Yes, please. E- Ellis isn't long for this world. Just know that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but you you know that when you meet him, I think when when people start dying, you you put him on the list. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I have two choices, and I think my backup is basically just as good as my my uh, uh, first choice here. So so Carrie. Take it away. Who's your Ellis? Well, I have to confess, my first choice was Charles Guiteau, because I freaking hate that guy. I think he's the worst. I think John, it would, boy, it it's would be, me. It would be so satisfying to see him blown away. Plus, he's a guy who thinks he's so much smarter than he is, and he thinks he's the one in control, but really he's just stumbling around thinking he's smart. I negotiate million-dollar <laughs> deals for breakfast. I can handle this Euro trash. Just a total bullshitter. So... I was going to go with him. Obviously, I should have known you'd pick him, of course. So instead of seeing of someone I'd, I'd want to get killed, <laughs> I was really going with the angle of a, like a total bullshit artist that thinks he's smarter than everyone else. And that is your old friend, George Adamski. Oh. There's some char- charisma there, but it's also like... He's just... He's a, he's a bullshitter's bullshitter, you know? He just... He takes pride in the bullshit. He does, but he um he tries to sell a kindly character. Yeah, but I think I think in this context of eighties high stakes business, you know, he might have been a, an asshole. That would have changed Adamski. Yeah, I could, could see it. Could be, could be. I'm not going to, you know, sully this. this sully the good name of the dead. Sully the good name of this known liar. <laughs> yes, um, but he's a carn artist, and and so's I mean that guy's like a Jordan Belfort type. So I feel like they're all carn artists in a way. Yeah. Um, you know what I thought is, what I fixed on with Ellis is his ultimate hubris, which is his downfall. Ellis's ultimate crime is overreaching and thinking that the rules don't apply to him. He can do whatever he wants. And he's going to come out of the other side okay, because he always has before. Mm-hmm. And in that, I saw a reflection of Jocelyn Hay, the 22nd uh-huh. Earl of Errol. Well, but he's the one that got murdered. Yes. He so was... he didn't come out of it. Well, Exactly. Same with Ellis. <gasps> Twist. So <laughs> Jocelyn Hay, if you remember, was uh, brazenly cuckolding the uh, one of his one of his uh, kind of society buddies mm-hmm. in the um, crazy b- set, social set of British expatriates in South Africa back in the twenties. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, the, that guy killed the hell out of him, just like Hans killed Ellis. I think Jocelyn Hay, and and I feel like. It- Charles Manson would kill George Adamski and your Hans uh, Doc Savage would kill this guy. Well, yeah, he would uh, he would 100% kill Jocelyn Hay. Um, <laughs> try, the, to, try to get his money or something, not really work out. The only other thought for someone I, I would, who had the ultimate confidence to do things that he had no business doing was uh, Emperor Nero mm. would make a good Ellis. <laughs> Yeah, you'd want to see him blown away too. It's constantly doing like gladiator fights and chariot races and uh, singing publicly and doing other stuff that like he, he wasn't very good at. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, maybe, maybe a little bit of that. But but I went with Jocelyn Hay ultimately. That's that's on the record. Okay. And I think we're all better for it. <laughs> uh, I promised Carrie that some help would be showing up for John as he struggles inside this building against these uh, these terrorists, or are they robbers? Because as we learn more about their scheme, of course, mm-hmm. uh, Hans's motivations may not be so political after all. But just event- a common thief. Eventually, we get on the radio a Sergeant Al Powell, mm. played by the great Reginald Val Johnson, the esteemed Reginald Val Johnson, and Al Powell is an unabated hero. 
He's yes. the he's the only cop on the ground who knows what the hell's going on. He's the only one who respects uh, what John is trying to accomplish inside the building. Yeah, if it was a bumper sticker, it would be like a cab except Al Powell. <laughs> it, it, it um <laughs> it it's sometimes raised with a, a almost a a snigger and a sneer that this movie's more of a romance between John and Al than it is between John and um, I, I Holly. Just, I love their relationship. I, I hope they send each other Christmas cards every year. They hug at the end like they've known each other forever. It's so sweet. I hope John's kids and Al Jr. really are playing on the swings together. It's a platonic love story, and I stand by it. And so that's what we're looking for. We're looking for a true blue ultimate friend here. Um, I made a I made a weird choice, I'll be honest. So mm-hmm. why don't you go first? Well, I was thinking of a true American hero. He does represent the government, but maybe in a more positive way than than most in the stereotype of his profession. Um, a really loyal friend, a, a good-hearted man, and just a a masculine, hardworking, hard-charging presence. And so, of course, I went with the first president of the United States, George Washington. Wow! And that could either be living George Washington that we talked about in Horrors of the American Revolution or dead (laughs) George Washington from Colonial Ghosts. Well, we know the ghost of George Washington offered words of encouragement to those boys at Gettysburg, just like Al does over the radio. Exactly. I think if you want, if you have someone on your side, you want it to be George Washington. Uh, Yeah, if I could have it. Yeah, that's that's the choice I would make. I think he'd give a really warm hug at the end of a long battle. So I went, I went a different direction here. (laughs) Okay. I went with Tarar. What? Yeah. Oh, because he loves Twinkies? Well, because the first time we see him, he's loading up his arms with those Twinkies. Big time. Everything a a growing boy needs. (laughs) And then we find out a detail from Al Powell's history. Mm -hmm. And I just- A shot a kid. Yeah. So I just just pictured Tarar, I ate a kid. (laughs) I ate a kid. No, I ate a kid. (gasps) Okay. So we have- Yours is a little more villainous, I have to say. So is this a- a, I ate a kid. Is this a redemptive arc for Tarar? Yeah, because he stabs Carl with a fork at the end. Yeah. And then eats him. Yeah. Okay. It's the first time he's been able to eat a living thing since. (laughs) Meanwhile, George Washington is just loading one of those- (laughs) <laughs> rifles very, very slowly yes. like like pounding in the the musket ball <laughs> yeah. the wadding yeah okay different strokes for different folks absolutely um i didn't take a backup on this next one because i i feel pretty confident um al powell has a real jerkweed of a boss he does um who who sort of ends up being the lesser of multiple jerkweeds i would say yeah well again every cop it's a real a cab movie except for al, <laughs> al powell, powell. Who has a, and and John McClane? I mean, he's technically he is a cop. He's a cop. He's not in a cop's uniform. Yeah, but he's certainly doing the job. Yeah, well, yeah. I think it's implied that he feels, you know, a, a calling. He to, feels copy. Yeah, he feels a calling to help to help out a mm-hmm. situation. Um, and Al Powell's the same way. By the way, he's the one good cop on the, on the ground, and he's the only one we know has killed a child. Yeah. I shot a kid. I shot a kid. Um, so anyway, his boss is a real jerk, though. His name's Dwayne T. Robinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dwayne Robinson is is obsequious when the FBI guys show up, but he lords his power over everyone else. He's completely oblivious to what's happening. Um, not in an Arthur Conan Doyle way, because it's less cute. And um, you know, what I did with this one is I just went with 
a cop who got everything wrong. Oh. I went with Frederick Aberline. Oh. The man who failed utterly to... Uh, well, he didn't fail utterly. He just failed. To leave us with any compelling threads to tug on all these years later in the Jack the Ripper investigation. I think he seems like a good man, to be very clear. Yes. The lead investigator from Scotland Yard sent to find out who Jack the Ripper was. Yep. Great job, Fred. Now, I went in a, <laughs> I went in a little different direction. I was going for, like, who would be a shitty boss who thinks he knows everything. Oh, no. Is this going to be Jim Jones? No, but it's going to be J. Bruce Ismay from <laughs> The Titanic. <laughs> this ship can't sink. A man who kind of looks like Jocelyn Hay, by the way. Mm-hmm. J. Bruce Ismay, I mean, certainly demonized more than he needed to be in history because he did survive the sinking. and People were like, he should have died. But it's kind of like, well, he, so he should have just killed himself like what do you mean i mean if he was able to get off the ship he should have gone on off the ship um but certainly a bad boss he's not listening to his workers he's not listening to osha of 1912 or whatever <laughs> um you know he he's got some he makes some bad choices but he's not the worst of all evils um He's not the worst of all evils, and that's because, as I said, the FBI guys show up on scene. Ugh, these two douchebags. They are, in fact, spoilers uh, for the... uh, Look, we're talking about Die Hard. We're spoiling Die Hard. They are what Hans has been waiting for as they shut down the power and allow the final stages of the thieves' plan to go forward. Mm -hmm. Um, But they also decide they're just going to blow up, like, just shoot at the roof where all the uh, hostages are. It's like fucking numb! I, I wasn't born, asshole. Isn't that what the guy says? Or I, like, I, was a, I was a kid. Anyway. Uh, I was in middle school or something. Asshole. Um, so these are a- FBI Agent Johnson and Special Agent Johnson. It's a weird bit, but it's in the movie. No relation. And I don't, I, it only occurred to me like this time or maybe the last time I watched Die Hard. The joke might be that they don't have like... Those aren't their real names because they're like government guys. But no, I think, I think the, think the joke, joke is, is just... one's a white guy, one's a black guy. So it's like, haha, no relation. Like, yeah, we know. Right. Probably uh, it, not. It is with that uh, in mind that I did my casting here. But I'm curious to see where you went with uh, with Agent Johnson and with Special Agent Johnson. Well, interestingly, I feel like mine are probably related in some fashion. I forget. Um, but I was, again, thinking of two just douchebags that think they have it all together and just want to see things blow up and um, get blown up, spoiler alert, and you're kind of like, all right, good. And that's Emperor's Caligula and Nero. Oh, my God. Well, I didn't take Nero for that for that earlier one, so you must have been on tenterhooks, I was, I was. I was titillated. <laughs> Tittle- Sorry, the wine. <laughs> <laughs> that's what's got you titillated. Oh, uh, wow. Well. Twitter-painted constipated continue (laughs) yeah so caligula and nero um both guys in positions of power that they shouldn't have been in uh love to see the world burn literally while fiddling perhaps and um yeah i think they they made choices that they thought was good for you know them really uh for their images or whatever and not really for people for glory yeah and and they're kind of I want I was really looking for like a pair, you know, and so many of the pairs that we have are like a murderer and a victim, so it doesn't right. really work. 
Uh, but Nero and Caligula are just two jerks that you just want to see blown up in a helicopter. Yeah, I, I went with a uh, pairing of my own. I thought Agent Johnson and Special Agent Johnson could be played by um, another kind of an odd couple. Mm-hmm. Bigfoot and Slenderman. Ooh, so, so sort of like a big, thick, and a long st- skinny. Exactly right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, no relation. That would tear the house down that bit. I almost picked Bigfoot for Al Powell because he seems like a, a strong and, and good friend. So I'm glad that I didn't because this is a really good pairing. I like it. I think this is also effective because as cryptids, like the FBI guys, everybody's really <laughs> excited to see them, but then yeah. it ends up being a little disappointing in the actual experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. Um, and finally, maybe the most villainous character in the movie uh, and I say this even as a former journalist. I, I think th- I think the career of journalism is really done dirty in this uh, movie, unfortunately. <laughs> yes. Because maybe the most villainous character, more irritating than Ellis, uh, more craven than a Hans Gruber, is uh, Richard Thornburg, mm-hmm. the investigative reporter who um, you know rushes down to the scene. He's by the way, he's better at his job than everybody else at the station. We see he's capable, but he's a bad person. Yeah, he threatens the um, the McLean's uh, uh, housekeeper with like immigration yes, services to, to get him to talk to the children, which is so exploitative, uh, and without the consent of the parents who aren't there. And then the little daughter being on TV really mucks things up for the parents uh, who are dealing with these terrorists. So come home. Hello, Lucy McLean. This is your mother speaking. <laughs> um, so for this one, you already took Zach Bagans off the uh, off the the <laughs> chart here, but I thought the glory hounding of a Zach Bagans might might not you know go awry here. Mm-hmm. But I ended up going with the loudest, most glory houndy quote unquote journalist maybe of the last century, and that's Alex Jones. Fuck, I, th- I chose him too. Oh, no. From, of course, our uh, Bohemian Grove episode. This is, liter- <laughs> <laughs> this is literally the only one I don't have a second for because I was like, that's it. It's Alex Jones. Well, I th- maybe we both just have to cast Alex Jones. He's in this just one. too perfect. He's such a blowhard. He's trying to investigate, but he's just making things worse. And at the end of the day, it, it's kind of like... Am I the baddie? Like, am I the bad guy in this? Plus, I could see him being really just overrun and overwrought by Chili. So, and I'd love to see him punched in the face by Bonnie Bedelia. Or, Absolutely. Sorry, by Airshabet Bathory. Yes, <laughs> or Lizzie Borden. Yeah, she wouldn't use her fist. She would use a hatchet. So, do you think we can make a concession here that Alex Jones can be the the blowhard reporter in both of these films? Uh, let me sort of the J. Jonah Jameson being um, J.K. Simmons in every version of Spider-Man. Let me consult the oracles just a moment. The Elf on the Shelf says this is okay. Yeah, we're going to just um, go with Alex Jones for both of our lists. Get that little snitch out of here. He, Carrie, it is the holiday season and we've all pledged our lives to the elf on the shelf. No, I, I'm going to drop kick that thing if I ever see it in my house. Carrie, don't let me hear you say that. The elf is always watching. Absolutely not. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, 
Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey, John Boy. No, Alice, what are you doing? <laughs> the, I hate him. It's an incredible performance. Oh, should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I'll say it. I don't think I've seen that guy. I can't think of him in anything else. And, and I, I wonder if it's just because he's so good in that one. He's so repulsive. That no one can believe him not blowing a line of coke actively. Yeah. It was the 80s. Who knows? Um... Well, anyway, we're going to throw up just like we're going to throw up uh, just like last year. <laughs> we're done with the holidays. <laughs> Too much wine. We're going to make our little posters for each of our versions of Die Hard and uh, we'll throw them up on Instagram and um, and other places. We'll have it on Patreon, too. And I have to admit, I've really been avoiding Twitter. It's just so full of crap lately. I haven't even been going on it that much but maybe i'll throw in a poll there too um and we'll see who who died harder this uh, holiday season Uh, i'll have the listener i do again i don't remember who won last year's poll but it would really brighten up my holiday really brighten up my holiday to bring home a win over here not that that should affect what you guys do you did have some really great options and i will say you had the the kindness and the generosity of granting me alex jones after getting to him first so you know i think i think you are definitely giving me a run for my money here well i'll take whatever crumbs the uh christmas queen can can give from the christmas table i suppose Ooh. Well, uh, for everyone else, next week we're going to have a great interview in the feed with our friends Patrick Scalisi and Valerie Ruby Omen. They um, collaborated on the book Connecticut Cryptids, which really is just a great field guide to all things Connecticut cryptids. And you know that we try to highlight the weirdness of our state. And uh, we're lucky enough to have a lot of listeners who aren't local, but we hope that it sort of introduces you to how local folklore sort of is created and permeates throughout time. And, you know, there's a lot of cryptids that have come from centuries ago, whether it's from indigenous beliefs or or maybe like immigrant folk tales kind of mixing in with the local flavor and things like that. So it's a really fascinating discussion. Uh, you can get the book Connecticut Cryptids on Amazon and all the good places. But we'll be having that interview in the feed next week, next Thursday. And so between now and then is uh, Christmas time for those who celebrate. So we just want to wish you all a Merry Christmas, a blessed Yule, all the happiest holidays in the world. And hopefully some light hangovers. Um, Yeah. Happy holidays, everybody. You know what? No hangovers. How about that? Wow. A Christmas miracle. Hans, Bobby, I'm your white knight. That's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary and check out our website at ain'titscary.com. You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash ain'titscary. You can call us and leave a message at our Google Voice number 203-666-5529 and please subscribe to the show and throw us a 
five-star review in Apple Podcasts and also on Spotify. We'll be forever grateful. We certainly will. And special thanks to those of you already joining us in the top couple of tiers over on Patreon. Sean O'Donnell, Jared Chamberlain, Maria Ferrante, Robin McCabe, Comfy Mike, Alex Nakutis, Ryan Regan, Christy Atchison, Kate Pope, Haley, Ryan, Enrique, Ira, Pete, Anna, and Delaney. Thank you all so much. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays uh, to our spooky family. Yes, and all of those on Patreon who have supplied their mailing addresses will be getting a special holiday greeting from Ain't It Scary. So again, um, you know, there's a few things that we do with our Patreon followers that aren't necessarily as part of the tiers, but we try to keep things special and fun for everyone. It's a really, you know, the spooky, the scary squad is really just a great little family and we love talking to you all. So. Thank you. And uh, this, you know, a Christmas themed question. Uh, share your favorite uh, Shane Black movie over on uh, <laughs> uh, on Discord, please. I mean, it's got to be Lethal Weapon, right? See you next Thursday. It might be Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Show created by Sean and Carrie McKay. Music by Kyle Ryan. You can find Kyle at his YouTube channel, Music is a Verb. Ain't It Scary has been brought to you by Killer Podcasts and is a production of Longboy Media. <laughs> Hi, this is Amy and Vanessa from She Goes by Jane, where we shine light on the stories of missing and unidentified women. On November 7th, we're sharing Nahida's story for the first time in a podcast. And this is a story that I thought I knew, but after reading police reports, became more complicated than I thought. When investigators are called to Nahida Khatib's house, everything looks fine. Her purse is on the kitchen table, her cup of coffee is on the counter, and her two-year-old niece is in her playpen. The only thing amiss? Nahida is missing. Every week, we feature a poem written in honor of the person we're talking about. This week, we're joined by one of our favorite actresses. You might know her from Sister Act or King of the Hill or The Descendants. But if you're like us, you'll know her from Hocus Pocus. She's the much-beloved Kathy Najimy. Join us November 7th to hear Nahida's story.